But we are starting off the show talking about what happened last night at the Vancouver Park Board. All in favor of the motion? I see Commissioner Dumont Giesbrecht, uh, McKinnon Irwin, and all opposed. I see Commissioner Cooper and Commissioner Barker. The motion is carried. That motion is to bring back a temporary bike path on Park Drive in Stanley Park. And joining me to talk more about this is Wally Opal. Thank you so much for being with us. Always good to be with you, Jill. Uh, you have several titles. Today you are here as a lawyer representing the Stanley Park Prospect Point Bar and Grill. Uh, what are your thoughts on what happened at Park Board? <laughs> well, was anybody surprised? No. Uh, you know, I act for Nancy Stibbard and the uh, Prospect Point uh, Restaurant. And as you know, it's an iconic landmark that's been there for decades. And they've put $25 million into their uh, premises, renovating it. And uh, we know what happened to them last year. Last year, the park board, without any consultation, ran a bike lane right through the middle of their parking lot and deprived them of 65 to 70 parking spots. So I don't know if they really had to do that. And I don't know why they wouldn't consult with our people first. So I sent a lengthy letter to the general manager of the park board on February the 16th, uh, telling them that, look, we're prepared to work with you. Our client is not unreasonable. She knows uh, she's prepared to work with the bike lanes. Uh, I got no response. Uh, I left four voicemails for a person who says she's a senior planner with the park board. I got no return calls. You know, it's really disturbing that they're the only publicly elected body that I know that don't return calls. You know, you can talk to the, the premier of the province, the cabinet ministers and and elected officials. They always return calls to people who have an interest in what they're doing. But the park board has become a law unto itself, and they just don't return calls. And I find that I find that very disturbing. You know, they, there are a lot of people that are affected by what the park board uh, is doing. Uh, our client lost a lot of money last year because of the lack of access of motor vehicles. Because something like 80% of the people who come to Prospect Point Restaurant come there by vehicle. And again, we understand that that bike lanes have to be there but we need to work with them. But they won't listen to us, and they're not really concerned about public input. There are already over 30,000 signatures on a um, petition right now, but that doesn't really matter much, and they made the decision anyway. The other thing you should know is that the um, Disabilities Association has filed a complaint with the Human Rights Tribunal on the grounds that they've been deprived of access to the park. Yet the city is defending that. And I, the, the city must have a lot of money and legal fees or legal resources to be defending cases like this. And uh, well, all we want to do is for the park board to listen to us. We're prepared to uh, to meet them halfway, and uh, but there's no response. And they had the meeting again last night, and, and here we are, right back where we were last year. And you may recall there was chaos in the park when this was done last year. And apparently, uh, no uh, no lessons were learned. 
uh, as a result of the incidents from last year. So there we are. So. <laughs> uh, it is interesting that one of the, the points that Camille Dumont with the Park Board made was, uh, and this is in a release that uh, was sent out today, saying that we need to decenter the automobile culturally and from our way of life, and that's a very difficult thing to do. It comes with challenges. We need to reduce our dependency on cars and encourage cleaner modes of transportation. Uh, I know there was a lot of idling in the park when it went down to one lane last year. Uh, they've also said that it won't be the same as last year's bike path and that they did learn lessons, but it sounds like, uh, well, they're not saying where they've learned those lessons. Is there a way, do you think, that there that this could go forward and not be a disaster for the businesses? I, I think there could be, but they need to sit down with us. I mean, we're the only, not the only ones that have a complaint. The Tea House people, Brent Davies and, and Mike Ackers, and they've Express similar concerns, as had John O'Neill, who runs the uh, the uh, horse-drawn carriage through the park. There are a lot of businesses, and there are a lot of people, the cricket club, the uh, rugby club, and all of these other people uh, are now hampered in their access to the park. The thing is, they should do this before they vote on this. And uh, it's really a done deal now, and I don't know uh, what, if anything, there is left to negotiate at this stage. As I said, you know, our client is not unreasonable. She's prepared to sit down with them. They lost a tremendous amount of money last year because of the fiasco that was inflicted on them. And again, it appears that we're running to through the same uh, same uh, path again. And there, there doesn't appear to be any lesson that was learned from what happened. Uh, it's nice for Camille DuPont to say, well, we're con- concerned about uh, cars in the park, but you know what? There's a way you can manage them. And is, was there any difficulty with cars in the park before last year? The vast majority of the public seems to think it was okay that the bike people can share those lanes with the motor vehicles. Right now, if they foreclose one lane from uh, a use for automobile drivers, What's going to happen is you're going to have a lot of idling. You're going to have a lot of carbon monoxide. And and uh, so the things are going to be worse environmentally. So I don't understand what the purpose of this is. And, you know, if they have a larger agenda here, as the, as the gentleman seems to think, that we want to ban all vehicles from the park, and that appears to be the direction in which the park board is heading, maybe they ought to consult with the public. Who you know the Stanley Park is an iconic place, and uh, we um, everybody in the province at one time or another has been to Stanley Park. And what they're doing here now, without any kind of consultation, is foregoing foregoing the possibility that people can use that park in a responsible way. Will there be more legal action? Do you think now that the vote has been to go ahead with this? Well, uh, our client has a valid lease, and uh, as does uh, the tea house. And uh, if we start suffering losses, uh, then maybe that's the path we want to go down. We're, we'll have to go down. Look, we don't want to go to court. We don't want to spend more money on legal fees. We don't want to do that. We want to be reasonable. We want to sit down with them and ask them, what is a viable way that we can make this work for everybody that wants to use the park and not just the bike lobby? There are other people who have a vested interest in the park as well. So that's all we want. And uh, but uh, I can see 
I can see legal uh, action taking place uh, because there were losses that were suffered last year and uh, nothing was done about it. So uh, that's a possibility. But I think city council has to take a supervisory position on this. I think uh, they have to ask themselves if this is a wise way for the city to spend money on legal fees when there can be solutions that can be reached by reasonable people sitting around a table and working this thing out. But the park board has never taken that route. Uh, They make the decisions first, and uh, then they worry about the fallout afterwards. All right. We'll leave it there for today. Wally Opal, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Always good to be with you, Jill. Thanks for being with us. Just a reminder, we are expecting a one o'clock update today from Dr. Bonnie Henry looking at the modeling numbers in BC. We will carry that live for you right here on CKNW. Speaking of vaccine, though, health authorities in Denmark, Norway and Iceland have suspended the use of AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine following reports of blood clots in some of those who had been vaccinated. Austria earlier stopped using one batch of the AstraZeneca shots, also investigating a death from a coagulation disorder. However, the European medicine regulator is still saying that the benefit of the vaccine outweighs the risks. So AstraZeneca in other places is still being administered. Well, joining me to talk a bit more about this once again is Dr. Horacio Bach, adjunct professor in the Division of Infectious Diseases at UBC. Thanks again so much for coming back on the show. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, how concerned should we be about this uh, this finding and these reports of blood clots? Um, the reports that they came uh, basically in the last uh, day or two days, um, they are still under investigation. So right now I don't think we need to make any decision in, in a rush because um, the the reason these countries they stop because they want to know what is the reason that happened. So right now we don't have any information how this person died. And I want to mention that they, you know this case there are a lot of backgrounds uh, that may uh, put a person prone to get this uh, kind of a, a disorder. So we don't know if this person was with anticoagulants or what we call a blood thinner. We don't know if it was some uh, a problem with the lungs, um, you know, the age. There are a lot of factors that definitely need to be evaluated. But we know that the AstraZeneca was provided for millions of people, and there is no evidence that as a result of the vaccine, we have this disorder. And we are talking about one case. We are not talking about 1,000 or 10,000. And if it was a, a, a kind of a disorder produced as the result of the vaccine, after millions of people vaccinated, we needed to see already that is something more and more common. Right. So, and you would think that this would would have been something tested as well in the clinical trials. Exactly. And what uh, my my understanding, they analyzed very well, and they didn't find anything that can claim that, you know, is the result. I want to bring also like a a little of history. So in the 2000, it was a a study made with the flu vaccine that we are using uh, because they found also some uh, cloth uh, or clothing disorders. And after studies they have done, they didn't find any connection between the vaccine related to this disorder. So 
the cases are very, very minimal, and it can be as a result of other stuff, maybe an interaction of a drug that this uh, patient was taking. We don't know yet, so I think we need to be a little wise and try to wait until the results are coming. Uh, is it possible, too, we're talking about in this case, so because the, there is one case, one fatality uh, that uh, is linked to this blood clot that we're talking about? I mean, it could be any of the things that, that you just mentioned. Uh, could it also be one bad batch of vaccine? Well, yeah, that was uh, it was mentioned that they apparently they are using the same batch that was provided to 17 different countries. And uh, we don't know yet, but, you know, it's only one case we are talking about. I, I, I don't know how, how big was this batch, but my understanding is that Spain, for example, they didn't find any, any issue in their uh, population and they continue. Others, they say, okay, let's stop until the investigations are done. Means that, you know, maybe something that is not related to the vaccine and, you know, they stop just for prevention is not because it's bad. Right. And and I think that's the case Yeah, you were talking about. There was a, a case or sorry, a case in Italy as well, but saying that the, the stopping, the withdrawal of that batch was precautionary. It wasn't because they had made an actual direct connection between the vaccination. And in one case, uh, a man had a heart attack. And in another case, uh, I think he was diagnosed uh, with deep vein uh, th- thrombosis. Exactly. You know, again, uh, my understanding is they, they stop for 14 days just to make sure that all the, the investigations are coming, uh, coming, you know, with the results. And we have to see what is the reason. It happened in Brazil also. I remember when they started to vaccinate to, uh, there, so some in the trial zone, someone passed away and they start to investigate because they said, no, they stopped. But what they found in the, in, in the end that was not related at all with the vaccine. So, you know, and Again, it's a couple of cases. It's not, you know, thousands of people. Maybe there is a specific part of the batch. Maybe we don't know yet. And, of course, the company didn't mention anything because they are investigating as well. You know, they want to know why it happened. But I think we are too early to say don't use that or don't vaccinate because uh, you know, one or, or, or two persons passed away, basically. Uh, for, for people that might hear about these cases and, again, question the clinical trials or question how quickly we approved or were able to approve these uh, vaccines, what would you say to them? Well, you know, that was a, it is still a global emergency, so we cannot wait five years to get the approval or 10 years that that's the time they take, you know, because, again, all these uh, 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 potential issues that we are seeing now, maybe they will happen in the five to ten years that takes to the vaccine to go to the market, but we are in reality that we cannot wait. And that's the reason um, less control was done, but I think that the, all the clinical trials were analyzed very, very deeply, and I trust that the, the, the authorities made the, 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 the final rec- decision basically, because as I say, in UK, they use millions of this vaccine and nothing happened. It may be related to a specific batch. It may be, you know, sometimes they bring, they left a little outside under the sun. I don't know, it may happen a lot of stuff, you know, distribution or the freezer or the fridge didn't work. You know, all these points need to be a, 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 a investigated as well, because maybe that the vaccine was okay, but the distribution or sorry, during the distribution of the vaccine, something happened, a technical problem, and, you know, it happened here and there, and, you know, so um, it's something that, again, we need to evaluate. Uh, do you think there are concerns now people will be hesitant to get this particular vaccine or will try and hold out for another one after hearing about these reports? 
Um, you know, I agree that pe- uh, people may be concerned, you know, you know but uh, um, what I would say, just wait until we have the result and probably the government needs to explain also that, you know, that the, or not the government, the health authorities need to explain, you know, do not hesitate because that was something related to a, a factor that is not involving the vaccine. So all this stuff probably will come in the next week, you know, in the next few days or or one week and we will, but definitely, you know, it can be that people will say, no, I don't want to take right now or wait for another batch or, or what if it's something with the batch, definitely the company will recall all of that and they're not going to be used for sure. All right. Uh, Dr. Bach, thank you so much for joining us to talk more about this today. Appreciate it. You are very welcome. We've been talking about a change in the public health order in BC, starting up outdoor gatherings of 10 people or less will be allowed. Indoor gatherings still banned at this point, and there will be a cutoff of 8 p.m. for liquor sales on St. Patrick's Day. And a bit later this half hour, we are going to check in with Ian Tostenson with the Restaurant and Food Services Association and get his take on that. Uh, We wanted to talk, though, with a business owner in Texas, because you might recall, Texas lifted all COVID-19 restrictions yesterday. That's for the entire state. Restaurants back to full capacity, all businesses back to full capacity if they choose to. And we wanted to see what it's like for business owners in that state. So earlier today, I caught up with Ginger Hayes, who owns the McKinney Knittery, which is north of Dallas. And I started off by asking her what things were like when those restrictions were in place. Well, it, it's uh, initially it was it was pretty rough. Uh, we uh, we did as much curbside pickup as we could. Uh, we used the time to change our point of sale system, do a full inventory, uh, go online, so we had a better way to reach our customers. Um, and then it's it's gradually people have have started coming back. We haven't seen everybody yet uh, because. Not everyone has been vaccinated, and I think that's what some people are waiting for. Um, and I think some people are just are just scared. I don't I don't know if they'll ever fully recover, but uh, but we're we're seeing good numbers. You know, knitting is something you can do when you're quarantined at home, and uh, people are are uh, definitely using it for that. A lot of them are working through their stash of yarn, though, which is which is a good thing uh, because sooner or later they're going to need some, some new yarn. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be something, though, I would think of all the, the products. Yarn, I would imagine, is something people actually like to come into the store and touch it and get a feel for it and, and not to... For sure. Right. And so that must have been rough. For sure. When all the restrictions were the, in place. The other, thing that we, the other thing we did was we added um, fabric. We were in the middle of a move when, when we um, were shut down. We um, had started renovation on a, a space three times the size of the one we were in that was two doors down. And so we were we were committed with that uh, construction. So we moved July 1st uh, when things were, were kind of open but still under restrictions, and we added fabric. Uh, but both of those products are ones that, you know, people want to touch. Just subtleties in, in the feel or subtleties in color can make a big difference when you're putting things together. So, so that was tough. We, when we were shut down, I remember showing people yarn through the window <laughs> to see if that was what they wanted, or uh, we took a lot of pictures. Uh, we worked really, really hard when we were, were officially closed, uh, just trying to get people the yarn that they wanted.
So lots of pictures, lots of, you know, trying to describe colors. Yeah. Uh, so we wanted to talk to you because uh, we, we chatted with a reporter with CBS when uh, Texas, when the governor announced that uh, the Texas was going to open up 100 percent, there would be no more restrictions. What does it look like? Are people still wearing masks or have people gone right back yes. to, to that uh, before masking? Nope. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I have not seen one one bit of difference between Tuesday and Wednesday. Hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that's true today as well. Everyone's wearing a mask. We are, um, the, our staff is wearing masks. In the classroom, we are um, requiring masks. Um, we are not requiring them floor, but everyone's wearing them. That's that's interesting so, to hear. Because, seen a difference, right? Because I think that there was some concern that there could be confrontation, or if somebody was coming in without a mask, and and if somebody still wanted to have that policy, even though it's been lifted, there could be some tension or confrontation. So that's good to hear that at least in your case, that's not happening. Yes, and part of it is we are um, we're not militant about it. If someone comes in without a mask, even before the restriction was lifted, we didn't make a big deal of it. Um, there are my neighbor, actually, she, she will monitor that door and she will kick you out and make a big deal about it. But, uh, we, you know, Texas is kind of independent and, um, we, we value the freedoms. Um, so it's a really fine line to, to walk to, um, and, and how it's handled. And we, do, you know, we, we don't want anyone to not feel welcome, whether they're wearing a mask or not. And that's another good thing that we moved into this bigger space because we do have space, enough space that we can spread out. So if someone is in, um, and it's very, very rare. And, and to be honest, I don't even notice if they have a mask um, or not unless I, I intentionally pay attention. But we had a lady a few weeks ago that was in and she she was staying way back from the register and she asked something about mass restrictions and I said, you know, yes, it's it's required by in the state of Texas. And then she said, you know, well look over there kind of thing. And she stayed back. She didn't make a scene, waited till that lady was gone and then um and then we took care of her from a distance. She didn't even come up to the, the computer and everyone was fine. Uh, but that's uh, that that's rare. Right. Uh, to my knowledge, everyone that's come in since Wednesday is still wearing a mask, even those that have been vaccinated. I was going to ask, you mentioned vaccinations. How, uh, how is that going in Texas as far as uh, people getting the vaccine? It's, it's going great. My parents have both been vaccinated. Uh, they, uh, they are, of course, in an older age bracket, so, so they hit it. They were able to get their vaccines. Um, I've, I've heard talk that it's going to be open like maybe one day a week, even on a first come first serve. Don't quote me on that. Cause I haven't, I haven't researched it. I just read a, a, a little blip on it this morning. Um, but it's the, both my parents went to different, um, different sponsored um, vaccination places. Both of them run very smoothly, um, easy in, easy out. Um, it's it's in my opinion it's been handled very well that's that's great to hear it's uh, there have been a few glitches here in bc so it's great to hear of a, a, a scenario like that going so smoothly uh, do people do you get the impression from people that the restrictions were lifted too quickly in texas and that's why people are still wearing masks and still following what well, what they don't have to <laughs> that is a, that is a really good question um the 
the people that are the noisiest are the ones that um, are are against it. Um, and they are, you know, it's too soon, it's too early, uh, but they could be saying that next year too. There's just, there's some that are very noisy about it. Um, I think in general, most people are, um, want to be respectful. They want to do the right thing and they want to um, be concerned for other people and their, their um, feelings about things. So, and we've had a year to get used to wearing masks. So it's, it's kind of become normal to people and it almost weird to go out without one. Uh, I, I sent a newsletter a couple days ago and uh, just kind of with uh, trying once again to find that fine line between um, keeping everyone safe and comfortable, but yet still um, allowing people to, to shop the way that they're most comfortable. Uh, and I received many um, email responses back that that was great. That was perfect. We, we appreciate that. Thank you. Um, and, and no, no negative feedback at all. So that, that kind of tells me that the, the people that are out there that think it was too early, I, I just really think it's a, it's a small, very vocal group. Well, Ginger, thanks so much for taking some time with us today to talk about this and what's happening in your state. That is Ginger Hayes of the McKinney Knittery. Thank you again so much. All right. Thank you. Have a great day. Well, as you may have heard, a bit of a change to the public health orders here in B.C. Outdoor gatherings of up to 10 people now being allowed. Indoor gatherings are still banned. And on St. Patrick's Day, liquor sales will end at 8 p.m. Let's bring in Ian Tostenson, president and CEO of the B.C. Restaurant and Food Services Association. Good afternoon to you. Hi, Jill. How are you? I'm great. It's funny. I was telling Ben Dooley, who produces the program, <laughs> this morning I, I was thinking, Ian hasn't been on the show in a while, it seems, and boom, here you are today because we have news that uh, has an impact on your industry. I know. My neighbors said the same thing. They go, hey, I haven't seen the news. Like, you know, it's, it's slow news time, but... Here we are. A year ago, St. Patrick's Day, we remember bars and restaurants were closed. What are yeah. your thoughts on this year, liquor sales ending at 8 p.m.? Well, I think, honestly, it's this is a, a bigger issue for bars and pubs. Um, it's, you know, it's not really the biggest day f- uh, for, you know, St. Patrick's for restaurants. It's almost business as normal. Um, and so, you know, when we, <clears throat> we, excuse me, we had the conversation with Dr. Henry's office over the last uh, couple of weeks, anticipating this. And so, you know, we're going to close at 8, liquor sales at 8 o'clock. It's a bit more noticed the industry than we had at New Year's. And so, and the public has um, some more time to adjust to this too. So I think we're just going to have to, you know, accept this as the last time we have to go through this. And uh, as we get vaccinated and the weather changes and, you know, make your plans, go to a restaurant early, you know, do the takeout and delivery thing, order some nice wine. There's ways to celebrate St. Patrick's Day if you're so inclined, but like I said, it's not the biggest, not the biggest deal for us in for restaurants. Uh, what are your thoughts on the, the idea? Are you seeing it in restaurants where alcohol is served? Is that one of the biggest issues that people get a few drinks into them and then forget about the rules or are getting too close to others? Has that been an issue? No, you know, ironically, I think it's more of an issue in your home. Um, you know, Dr. Henry's always said, and I kind of chuckled because, 
you know, it's, it's a pretty much of a, a nice lockdown environment in restaurants, but our protocols are so strict in terms of how many to table and you know, wearing masks. And, of course, we're always driven by uh, safety around um, serving it right programs that the environment's very controlled and, and very curated. So uh, we haven't had We've had more problems, Jill, with, you know, people that want to be wearing masks and making a big deal about it. Uh, at the beginning of this, people were mad because they had a baby and was the number seventh person at the table, and they didn't understand why they couldn't have that person there. But largely, uh, it's all straightened out. Um, you know, it's, it's working quite well right now. And, you know, what we're really excited about is, you know, in the next few months here, we're going to start to see some real changes in restaurants. I mean, I think the biggest thing that could happen for us uh, in April, if there's some more announcements, is the, you know, defining, you know, back to the safe six people you can go with in your pod to restaurants. And then number two is is extending that 10 p.m. closing time to maybe 11 or 12, because that's, you know, that, that is surprisingly, there's a fair amount of business done after 10 o'clock in restaurants. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to be doing this in gradual steps and um, always putting safety first. As someone said, and I love this, as we come back from this, we're going to lead with joy and reassure the public with safety. And that's our job here. So when it came to having discussions about eight o'clock closing, of course, the right thing to do is go with it and make it great, because otherwise we as an industry are participating in putting the public at risk and we can't do that because it's just going to prolong everything. Uh, any idea on when capacity will increase in restaurants? I think when the patios start, there's been no discussion about that, but uh, you know, interesting, most restaurants have been able to use plexiglass. So when we did this a year ago, um, it was like six feet between tables and then it became, we could use plexiglass as partitions and that would mean the tables could come closer. So you're seeing a lot of restaurants are probably maybe at 70% capacity. And when we add on the patios, I think we may even have some patio action this Saturday. It's going to be 15 degrees. Um, that's going to help too. But I think that we're probably not going to see capacity until probably into the summertime when we've got, it's correlated always to conversation with Dr. Henry's office is the number of people vaccinated is going to be the determinant and of course the variants and those are the determining factors so if 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 today the numbers have been going down and the variants weren't a concern i think we wouldn't be going through these restrictions but she's still quite concerned about that she's being very cautious absolutely she is uh, for sure and i just wanted to touch on this again because there is still a lot of confusion about this going to restaurants with people out of your household uh, the public health order wording is you should only go with your household household it's not like there's a ticket or a fine that goes with that right people have been doing this but it seems that people have been doing it safely and and i guess that gets back to the safe six and when we get to that point yeah absolutely and it's, it's been the hardest question i think of this whole thing is who can go to a restaurant the health order does not you know it doesn't say you can't but it makes a strong recommend recommendation that you should save their household for obvious reasons and and we've been supporting that messaging for sure so we're saying go with your household keep it tight as i said earlier you know the faster we get through this the, the better it's going to be for everybody but that really is, um, you know, the, 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 it's not a, it's not a health order per se, and it's, and, it, and 
if, when it's not a health order, then you can't have people coming in and saying, okay, Jill, you're with the wrong people at your table. I'm going to give you a ticket. That can't happen because it doesn't exist. But it's the spirit of this. And so you'll find that our industry, you know, they're not saying, hey, I don't think you're with your family. But they're, they're putting other precautions in place by making sure that the masking, the six people and the distancing, all those things in place. So when it's sort of, you know, it sort of, it, it sort of mitigates that. But, you know, the recommendation continues to be, uh, households at this point. And I think Dr. Henry said it today, two or three more weeks of this to see if we can get these numbers down a bit, and then it's going to start to change. All right, Ian, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much. Good to talk with you again. Can we talk tomorrow? Sure. <laughs> Thanks, Jill. All right, that is I Ian <laughs> Ian Tostenson, President and CEO of the BC Restaurant and Food Services Association.